Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Quillen. I'm joined here by our recruiting editor, Russell Johnson. And Russell, it's been um, kind of a, I guess, a, a weird week for Georgia Tech this week up to the point where we're, which we're recording this Thursday night. Um, really, the only sort of news on the football front was um, sort of I don't know if you'd say bad news, but just not like positive news. You had um, Demo, Derek Moore, leave to go to South Carolina for, you know, a better paying gig for him, better opportunity for him, um, where he gets a chance to be a little bit more involved in the organization. He's been at Tech for 20 years and um, has kind of been the face and voice behind a lot of Georgia Tech stuff and, and really key cog to the program for the last through multiple uh, groups from Gailey to Johnson to Collins and someone that I know Jeff was um, particularly fond of when he got hired back. And um, then also on Thursday, you have the decommitment from the sort of random commitment Georgia Tech got uh, uh, early on from, uh, it was a Julian Lewis, right? His name? Yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. I dropped my water. I need to, I need to clean this up real quick. <laughs> but so uh Russell, but yeah but yeah so while russell's uh doing that real quick that one's super weird because like i remember at the time thinking oh this is so to- so random right like what the hell is this and then um i had forgotten at one point when we started doing the offer list to be perfectly honest I had forgotten this kid was committed. So we did our, what we call our big board of recruits, right? So this is like all the guys that we think Georgia Tech's actively recruiting or we know from our sources or kids or whatever, they're actively recruiting. And I'm going through it and I'm like, it's like, wait a second. And I had to like thumb back through my tweets. And it was like, a, I feel like it was on a Friday, like in the middle of September, the kid committed before one yeah. of those. And, um, it was just random as hell. And then that kid decommitted. I mean, whatever, like they're in a situation now where the, the numbers are tight. Like if you're not on the ship, you're not on the ship. And, and if you can't be on the ship, you need to be off the ship because they don't, they're not going to be signing 25 or 27 anymore. This is going to be a smaller class, uh, no matter kind of which way you cut it. So, um, you know, better to, to jump off now if you're not, going to be a part of that ship for whatever reason than than to to wait and do it um you know and what would be the benefit of doing it in march or whatever i mean just do it now they're recruiting a lot of other receivers um yeah they're offering a lot of other receivers well they you know that's sort of the great irony it kind of tells you all you need to know about that situation doesn't it russell yes yes they've been uh they've been offering recruiting and evaluating uh several other receivers and then no, I mean, n- nothing against Julian and nothing really, you know, he could, really couldn't do much about it, but he wasn't able to see the field much this year either, you know, between um, COVID really affecting Davey Western's season and then COVID literally affecting his season in terms of, you know, him being forced to miss practices and games and, and probably classes. I mean, he probably fell behind in school being so far behind. And it, it's just, you know, that, that kind of stuff kind of weighs on the kid and, you know, he made a really early decision, may not have really understood the magnitude of the decision he was making when he made it. And then, you know, as, as time goes on, things progress. Um, Georgia Tech's probably going to take two, three receivers in this class at the absolute most. And it seems as if um, they are going after elite guys at the moment. Um, this, this kind of reminds me of what many thought was going to happen in the 21 class with Malik Rutherford. Um, when he first committed, everyone was like, well, what's going on here? He did his, I think it was in November. Yeah, yeah it was. And because um, it was right around the time Georgia Tech was recruiting his teammate, Jalen Harrell, who's not Miami. And uh, Rutherford committed and was still talking to other schools, still tweeting about his recruitment being open, similar to what Julian did. Um, but what Malik has is, uh, you know, quickness, and, and he was on the field, and he had consistent film, and he, he's going to have a chance to contribute. 
And the more he realized what he was potentially throwing away in terms of the education and kind of everything he committed to with Georgia Tech, um, he, he kind of slowed down on the, the recruiting games that were being played on, on social media and everything. I think he would even admit to it if you talk to him. Well, and I think with Malik it was a little different too because the main school that was messing with him was the hometown school that was in his backyard where he had a, a lot of ties even within his own coaching staff to that school. And so that that's it. And you look at that in a different way, right? Like if you're, you're um, an out-of-state school recruiting a kid, you know pretty much any time that, that and you're in that situation that there's always going to be push and pull that you're going to have to fight with if there's a kid desired by whoever the big in-state school is. If it's if they're recruiting a kid, they offered a kid from Gainesville today, Quan Lee, right? Like if Florida's on Quan, there's going to be a lot of internal pressure whether or not he even has interest or not. There's going to be a lot of people politicking for that school because it's right there in the backyard. If you're in Miami, it's going to be Miami. If you're in, you know, Tallahassee, if you're at Godby and you know, or one of the other schools, if you're Avery Boyd and Florida State comes in, you know, that's going to be a tough, that's, it is hard. I think one thing people don't realize too, in a lot of these situations is these kids are in school, right? So they're hearing stuff from their classmates, from every teacher in the school. There's teachers that are fans that follow these things. There's a lot of teachers that are on our message board that are at other schools and stuff. And it kind of gives you some insight um, into how complex some recruitments can get, right, with people in people's ears, what's going on in the background. And, um, you know, it can get doubly hard when you start talking about uh, power schools and kind of what's going on. And that's sort of a, an X factor. Uh, it's something I always used to talk about when Georgia Tech recruited really hard in South Georgia, like fighting the, the sort of anti uh, Georgia Tech bias from all of the EGA fans in those areas became uh, a constant battle. Um, there were a lot of interesting stories I told on the site about, you know, Nick Marshall or different guys that they recruited that they had committed at one time that didn't even necessarily go public with their commitments because of uh, the internal pressures going on around them. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's a multifaceted thing. It's one thing I always tell people not to overreact. Uh, especially the people who are really active on Twitter. You got to not like blast a kid or celebrate a kid leaving because you never know what's going to happen, right? They could turn around and, you know, things work out and the kid could come back in, you know, eight months and be committed or whatever. You just don't know. So, like, don't burn bridges now either. And the staffs are very careful with that, something that I know uh, Coach Collins makes his staff very cognizant of, like, um, even if they're trying to maybe convince a kid that Georgia Tech's not the right spot for them anymore, you don't want to totally blow the thing up because you never know like what's going to happen down the line. And, um, and you know, somebody could have a little brother, somebody could have a friend that you're recruiting, and those things can blow up on you. I've seen it happen at a lot of schools where someone got a bad taste in their mouth from something that happened Um you know, the greatest example in Georgia Tech history is Morgan Burnett with his brother, Cap Burnett, had a, all his issues at Georgia. And, you know, he wanted to go to Tennessee and that didn't happen. And it, Georgia Tech ends up with an NFL safety who plays three years on the flats and, and had a great career in the NFL. Um, so you just got to be careful because you just don't know. Like, you know, one of these kids you might mistreat now might be a coach in, you know, 10 years down the road and you're trying to recruit him and you're early say you're to shard choice right shard choice can be coaching for a long time you got to make sure you don't burn those bridges because you just never know i look at how many kids i know right now that are it may be in the first groups of kids that i covered as recruits um you know 2005 2006 2007 2008 2009 those guys are now head coaches at places which makes me feel incredibly old but, you know, I'm getting messages. Guys are assistant coaches at places, um, recruiting coordinators at high schools. And, you know, it's one of those things, man. Like, it. so for me, it pays off because I've maintained pretty good relationships with almost everyone that I've dealt with. And Russell's kind of done the same thing where those people reach out now and they're valued uh, sources or uh, they can help you get in touch with a kid or whatever it is. So it, it 
that's why also sometimes we're a little bit guarded about what we say because you're also not trying to blow up a kid that's 16 years old that's maybe you know got excited because he liked a uniform combo and like some hype videos he saw and got fired up and was like yeah this is the move i'm gonna do this you know like that's not always um Think about when, you know, if you're an older guy now, think about the decisions you made when you were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Like, they're not the decisions you'd make at 25, 28, 30, 40 years old. Like, it's just a totally different ballgame. So uh, you got you to gotta keep their kids at the end of the day, right? So we try to be protective of them in some ways, and sometimes it pisses people off because everyone wants – the full de- the the nitty gritty full gory details rundown of what happened or or maybe people sometimes think there's more to a story than there is sometimes it's just a parting of the ways like sometimes it's like hey man you should go look for something else you know we're not seeing a fit or maybe the kids like i don't you know i'm, I'm wanting to be closer to home because all this covid stuff or whatever it is like you just gotta not get like too tied in I get it when it's a five-star player or like, you know, a D tackle or something that at Georgia Tech is super rare. Um, I, I get that people have shed tears over Stephon to it or like freaked out during the the Jameer Gibbs stuff when he was getting courted by Ohio State, Florida. Legit, right? That's a legit thing to be to be uh, worked up about. A kid in the next cycle before the fir- this cycle is over with. You know, I, I say we're what uh, just under a year away from the, the early signing period. So be cool, you know, like it's all right. Stuff happens and move along. Right. Right. And I also think uh, since the last time we recorded, it was that uh, it was that Thursday night where the Brent Key situation started to. Well, it was funny. I was editing the podcast when when yeah. I got a text from our uh, counterparts in South Carolina. They're like, "Hey, man, have you heard about this?" And it was like midnight. Yeah, no, I stayed up late that night. <laughs> and I was like, I texted Russell, as soon as, and we we're like, "Hmm." But it was so late, you can't even like really ping people. So, like the first thing the next morning, we're pinging people and. That was a wild ass story, and you know Brent. Um, I don't know how close he was to leaving, but it was pretty serious. Like, uh, I would not have, I would not say it was um, something to to uh, downplay the seriousness of. If you're a tech yeah. fan, and that, that's that's a good. By the way, these are good problems to have, right? Like, the part of the problem when Paul Johnson was here is later in his career he got in a situation where I don't think he had the same caliber of staff he started with. The first staff he had, there were guys, Jeff Munkin's the head coach at Army now. Charles Kelly was a DC at Florida State. Giff Smith's been an NFL defensive line coach forever. Brian John Marie was a DC at two different schools, including Louisville um, and Texas. Um, who else was on his early staffs? You had uh, Bo Hannon as head coach at Kennesaw State. You had Andy McCollum was a former head coach at Middle Tennessee State. He was a great recruiter. You had these guys, and as time kind of went along, you, you lost the Charles Kelly, and you weren't able to. So when you have guys like that that are in demand, that's a good sign. Like To me, when someone's wanting guys on your staff, there's people who would like to hire Brent Key. There's people interested in the shard choice. Um. You know, those guys have some value in the market that shows that Collins has targeted some of the right people, right? And so it's something you got to live with, and especially with a guy like Brent that's so driven to win it's a uh, and is a hyper-competitive guy like and loves Georgia Tech. You know, it, it's um, a very emotional situation. I think we saw that kind of play out in the drama that was, you know, short of um, – I'm trying to even think of like something else this year that went that far off the rails kind of in terms of our message board, Russell. Can you think – it didn't necessarily go off the rails, just like that many posts and um, – Oh, when Cornelius Tatum, when we uh, 
when when I flip my future cast to South Carolina, that'd be that'd be the closest thing we got to in twenty twenty. Yeah, I feel like that was one. I think that um, maybe like when the COVID stuff started and they didn't the come back from spring we had break. To do. Yeah. Oh like, man. Those were a little bit harder because it was more, yeah, as you say, moderation stuff, like dealing with people yeah. being crazy. But like the the it's just sort of um, you know it's, it's one of those things that goes with the road. And coaching's a business, man, and these people have to make the best decisions. And Shane Beamer is clearly throwing money around. They gave Demo a great deal to make him leave Georgia Tech. They were interested in, in, in Key. They've been trying to poach other guys from other staffs. They've gotten a lot of people raises, which is, you know, sort of commendable, I guess, if you're uh, into that sort of thing, um, as they've tried to pick coaches off at different schools. Uh, Texas kind of going through the same thing with Sarkeesian right now, uh, yeah. where he got several defensive coordinators bumps uh, along the way until he settled on the guy from Washington is actually pretty good. But, um, you know, I think that the way this works is uh, is sort of part of the business, even for a guy like Brent who came back home and um, uh, is a, you know, a tech man through and through. At the end of the day, it is a business and he needs to look out for the best interests of his family and whatever's going on. And you have to put everything in that context, right? And he has expectations. He knows what it's like to win. He's a guy that won a national championship Alabama coached in three other championship games there and you know and was on very good teams at UCF too with O'Leary and at Georgia Tech as a player with O'Leary so you know they're I think everyone wants the best for this and I think in a way it's such a different animal because coach Collins took over a program at Temple that was similar and philosophically similar to what he was doing and what he wants to do. And at Georgia Tech, it was a totally different thing. Uh, the program was built in a totally different way. So it's, it's, um, they couldn't have hired a more opposite uh, situation from Paul Johnson and, and Coach Collins and everything they're doing. So there's been a lot more growing pains than I think even Brent and people like that ever expected. And coach Collins will probably tell you the same thing. If you asked him privately, I think they've been a little bit surprised at um, kind of the hurdles they're climbing. And, and then they've had some things you couldn't figure out, like, you know, what happened say with North Carolina, you have Mac Brown suddenly kind of come in and steal all these recruits at chain. That whole thing of Mac Brown doing what he's doing at North Carolina has had a trickle down effect on everyone else that recruits in the same areas. Like they've way over recruited what they normally do. And so when you have things like that, it changes the dynamics of, and whatever the hell was going on at Tennessee. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, so anytime there's stuff like that, it changes the math on paper of what you were looking at. So I think there's just a lot to think about when you're, um, kind of looking at all this and then at the end of the day man I give almost everyone a pass for this year because it was such a fiasco like it was a fiasco for us like trying to cover this mess like I can't even imagine what it was like on a day-to-day basis when you're in a college with college kids trying to you know have a social life date do things that you would normally do and you feel invincible at that age trying to tell them, oh, yeah, you got to stay away from people and you got to do this and that. And, like, how many games, you know, it was like, uh, you know, Coach Thacker said, you'd hold your breath every Saturday morning if you're him, waiting to see who's on the COVID list and can't play. Like, because you don't know. Like, it's so random. You see it with the basketball teams. Now, basketball has been hit a lot harder just because of the nature of the game and the fact you're so much closer to people and – um, and the teams are so much smaller, you, you, you know, you can't, you just can't play. So it's a, just a totally, that's so much more uh, impactful when, when they've had a test. And I think what happened with Keontae Johnson at, at Florida scared the hell out of everyone too. So now everyone's been even extra cautious with kind of how they've approached that. But, um, 
it's going to be interesting to see kind of what are the adaptations, what are the changes, what are the expectations for Georgia Tech going forward. I've said kind of my piece on it that I think looking at it today and, and you know, January of 2021, and assuming the schedule doesn't change, that it's a – they should be on a bowl bubble. Like, I think that's a realistic expectation. I think you can't just win two, three games for – or win three games and three games for, you know, three years. I think that's going to be really hard for them to sell. Uh, recruiting, it's going to be hard to sell to the people who cut the checks. And I think there's going to be – there needs to be a progression. And this year there was a progression in terms of how much more competitive they were. They won another um, ACC game more than they did last year. So that's a moderate improvement. So what is the next level, right? It's, what does it look like? And I, I guess that's where I stand. What do you think, Russell? Yeah, I would I would kind of agree with that. You know, being on the, the bowl bubble um, is, is really, really important, uh, especially for the, the recruiting trail. Um, you know, showing progression, not just in the wins and losses, but how you look in the wins and how you look in the losses. You know, you're blowing a 20-point lead, winning by two. I mean, that that, that may look good in the, the win column, but, you know, in the perception column, especially if these kids are either, you know, at home watching or even even more if they're in person on campuses again, finally, watching that game, those are the kind of lasting effects. Or like a two-point loss to, to North Carolina, for example. That'd be a, a lot different than a four-point win over UVA. Sure. And, well, and that's, and, you know, yeah. Just that kind of stuff. I mean, you have to be able to show progression. Like, you, you can't lose to the teams like Syracuse. Georgia Tech can't do that. They can't do that next year. They can't lose to Kennesaw State. No, I mean, if they lose to Kennesaw State, there's going to be, like, pitchforks out. And, um, <laughs> yeah. The guy I fear for the most in that scenario is probably uh, the AD, more so than Jeff. But uh, I don't know that you could recover from that, to be honest, like to be blunt, like to yeah. lose to – it's one thing in ba- – basketball is such a different animal, right? People are talking about what happened with Josh and they lost the two games at the beginning of the season. But uh, I've seen I've seen terrible teams beat Michael Jordan's Bulls. Like, you know, it, like just – that's a different thing than football. Football's 11-11, you playing offense and defense, you know, special teams. Basketball's guys running up the court. A guy can get hot and kill a team by himself. Steph Curry did that when he was at Davidson, you know. Like, um, I just think that you gotta, you got to avoid – that is the biggest trap they have on their schedule is that Kennesaw State game because – you know, they're, they totally overmatched them personnel-wise, but that's a well-coached team and so way into their system. Uh, they recruit well for their level. And so, like, they're a much better team than the Citadel, who they lost to two years ago. And Coach Collins, I think, is one in three against F- – one in two against FCS teams as a head coach. Like, well, he, lost he lost to Villanova at Temple. The Villanova team that was like the Citadel was not very good. They they were a preseason like top twenty five FCS team I think that year, and then they ended up win, losing like five games or something in the FCS level. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and then he lost like Buffalo I think who you know, we they were starting to turn the corner a little bit there, but that was not a great loss either. You can't lose, and they lost Syracuse this year, right? And you lose the Citadel last year. Like you can't lose those games. You gotta. You got to take your layups and hit them, right? You can't break yeah. a layup, and those are as close to layups as you get in this league. Um, even the game at Temple last year was, or in 2019, was very ugly to watch, where they fumbled the ball in the end zone like three times, scoring touchdowns, like and lose. They score two points in a game. You know, can't have stuff like that happen in year three. Like, people, it's one thing if you have it happen in year seven or whatever. That happened to Coach Johnson in his sixth or seventh year in 2015. Um, and that was a year where it was just a magnificent amount of injuries, right? And yeah. 
so but the if you go back and look at that season a they had the game where they upset florida state on national tv with the blocked kick on uh, royo but also if you go back and look at all those games they lost like four games like in the last in the fourth quarter that were they had a chance to win um including a game at notre dame so like it's one thing too if you're losing and looking good you can't be giving up 70 to clemson or um you know the game they had against virginia tech in 2019 where they lost like 45 to nothing or whatever like don't you can't have those games right now you like um and you certainly don't want to have them against like that virginia team that wasn't great Uh, i'm sorry virginia tech team that did that to them that wasn't great like you don't want those scenarios so that's where it gets interesting to me and and you know, each of his years, they've upset somebody to um, that, you know, I think everyone thought they were going to lose. Everyone thought they were going to lose the Florida State game to open the season. They upset them. In 2019, they beat um, Miami down in Miami uh, in a, a very strange game. But, you know, really, they've had two wins, I think, since he's been here that have been kind of, yeah, you know, they're in control of this game. They beat NC State on Thursday night in the first year. And then the Louisville game where they pulled away in the second half. Um, yeah, on the Friday night, right? Yeah. But really, other than that, it's everything's been a dogfight or they've kind of lost, and you can't have that happen. And people want to see pro, pro, you know progression. You don't want to have bad kicking for a third straight year on field goal PAT. And you um, – you need to show progression on defense, right? That was a little bit disappointing. I thought the defense regressed in a lot of ways. From They were better at getting sacks, and um, I thought the tackling was better. But the overall play was down from 2019. So those are the things that you got to kind of keep an eye on here. You're early in in a staff. You're establishing your identity, and – in Jeff's case, this program is very much built on two things. It's recruiting and player development, right? So you got to see those two pieces work uh, together because if you develop players, it improves your recruiting. When you don't, it, it kind of torpedoes your recruiting because high school coaches and kids will catch on to what's going on. So that's where it's going to get real interesting going forward. And um You've seen some player development pieces. I think Brent Key's done a really nice job. Uh, Tashard's done a nice job. Marco Coleman has been a real unsung hero in all of this. Larry Knight's actually done a really nice job considering what he's had to work with. So you want to see, like, that piece continue to develop here going going forward. Um, Because, you know, like, for a guy like Larry Knight, I don't foresee a time where they're going to get a bunch of four-star defensive tackles. And, and anytime in the near future uh, with the way college football is set up right now. So yeah. it's like that's a where you need to be playing fourth-year guys, you know, that are rich or juniors or whatever. And that's really been where, you know, uh, they've had success in the past with, you know, even in, um, during Paul Johnson and, and Gailey's ten years with developing guys getting older on the defensive line and it's not necessarily being all star driven. So this yeah. is where it gets interesting to me in this class too, man. Cause like they've got to be really selective with what they do. Cause they don't have a ton of spots, especially the D line. You have maybe four scholarships right now, maybe three across the whole D line. Yeah. Um, you got to kind of hit it big and, you know, take advantage and those guys they're developing now, if they can show they're doing that, you know, if Jared Ivy and Jordan Dominic take those steps up and um, you see Sylvain come back from his injury and he starts to look good, you know, that could go a long way towards um, really changing kind of the narrative and their recruiting structure at a key spot like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And, uh, you know, you were you talking briefly about Larry Knight. He, uh, he was quite busy today. Um, you know, something that I think he and, and Collins and Georgia Tech really have, you know, tried to pride themselves on and kind of have talked quite a bit about, you know, pub- publicly at least, is that um, you know, they want to build relationships with 
the high school coaches in, in the state of Georgia. They want to be like the, they want to be the first to offer. They want to have the early evaluation. And you know, for a 2023 kid who I put a story up today on that they offered from Creekside, um, you know, he had grown up around Georgia Tech, been to camps all his life, always wanted to go there. It was it was an interesting conversation I had with him, and you know, he found out from I guess Coach Knight had called uh, the Creekside's coach and had uh, given him the news today. And, and it was just, you know, that kind of stuff. Usually those are in-person conversations that are taking place between Knight and the high school coach. Um, but something that I've seen quite a bit this week is uh, Georgia Tech's kind of ramping back up their Zoom activity with um, high school coaches. Because, like I said, this is what normally would be one of the evaluation periods. A lot of people are, you know, kind of confused slash concerned about, you know, why is so-and-so getting offered? Why are quarterbacks getting offered? Uh, what's going on at this position. Like I said, this is the evaluation period, and this is the part of the year where, you know, sometimes what they would normally be doing is watching these 22s, 23s, even 24s, believe it or not, watching them work out, seeing them, talking to their coaches, getting feedback from teachers, getting all of this kind of information that they're not able to, to really get right now. So that's yeah, why in person see, on the road, yeah. Yeah. So now you see, you know, Collins on Zoom calls with uh, Troop County. You see Knight on Zoom calls with Creekside. You see Choice talking to all kinds of coaches. You see Kerry Dixon working the lines. And I think he offered a, a couple kids from Texas and then from Tennessee today. It's just these kind of things. They're trying to, to grow the relationships and offering these kids. I mean, you know, offering a 24 kid this early in the process is, not completely unheard of to offer this early, but at the same time, you know, it, it's something that for for it to be his first offer, um, it, it's going to be something he remembers for quite some time. Yeah, and they'll let them kind of live with that and, and kind of absorb that that early offer so you maybe get an early edge. And yeah. you, you kind of hit on that. I noticed some 24 offers, a lot of 23 offers. The reality is, like, so normally you'd be doing two things right now you'd be trying to finish your 21 class with whatever else you wanted to add. And then you'd be hyper-focused on personal evaluations of seeing 22 kids in person, but because they don't do that, they're just, you know, there and they're already looking at film ongoing. They've been doing that this whole time. You're able to start working ahead a little bit more than you normally would. So that's how you're getting more 23 action. And, um, because they're just not like normally and you lose a lot of time on the road just in general too as a staff because you're flying or driving around or whatever you're going because when they go out here's the thing that people don't realize so like Tashard Choice goes down to uh, Douglas County or whatever his job is to go to like every high school pretty much regardless of whether there's a kid there or not so you're that eats up a lot of your day man like just think about like where you live and driving around maybe the county you live in or the maybe like draw like a 30 mile circle around where you live and then list all the high schools and think about how long it would take you to drive around you go and you can't like just walk in and be like hey man what's up i'm out peace you got to like go in and schmooze people and small talk them and take pictures with people and yep. you know it, it's a, a a grind man and you know, it's funny for us, like one of the, the things that kind of some of us are missing out on these days is uh, that's when a lot of us would talk to our sources on staffs, man. They'd be like on a long drive through South Georgia or rural parts of Florida or wherever it was. And you'd be, you know, shooting the breeze with somebody. I remember one time I had a coach call me. He was on a crappy plane that was flying so low. He actually got cell service and called me on a plane and was like talking to me while he was going to visit some kids somewhere. Like it's just sort of um, one of those weird things. This is, this is a totally unknown thing for us right now. Like normally right now, Russell and I would be sitting down, we'd be booking hotels and air travel for rivals camps, right. Or uh, summer camps for Georgia tech or what at this point, I'd be shocked if we have either of those things. And I don't know any personal knowledge. Like I have not asked about our camp situation with rivals. So don't take that as a, a read on whatever they're doing. Cause I don't for sure know. I've kind of had other stuff to deal with. So I haven't actually asked about that, but 
like normally we would have and between russell and i we will cover 10 10 camps in 10 cities like literally all across the united states you know the only ones we probably wouldn't have gone to in a normal year would be maybe like you know one in chicago maybe one in new jersey and one in cal and one or two in california everything else is yeah. kind of in fair play because between georgia tech and then some of the other stuff that we do uh it's so national that you know we need to be at the miami camp or the tampa orlando camp or uh, yeah. new orleans or um nashville or columbus ohio right and well, yeah it sucks for us because we lose it. That's the one time that it's like really awesome. We get FaceTime with these kids. That's how Russell and I got to know Jameer Gibbs a little bit, uh, even though he's super shy, kind of with strangers. But just these different kids, man, you get to know them that way. I think that um, that's one of the fun things about like the whole camp season and, uh, you know, getting to know, um, especially with our rivals camps and the access that we have at them just getting to spend time with kids and, and pick their brains a little bit and get an idea of who they are as people too. You get a lot of insight from watching their interactions with other kids and kind of how fun it is or, or, you know, what, but that was the thing that was, so like the rivals camp in Marietta two years ago is when I told Russell, I was watching Jameer Gibbs and I was like, dude, that is like the best receiving running back I've ever seen at one of these camps. And I've been at yeah. camps with like every kid you can imagine um across the country and i've been at rivals five star where we have like the top guys and you know i mean i remember sitting with leonard fournette at a camp just shooting the breeze with him uh when he was like an underclassman recruit so that shows you like the caliber of dudes who are at these things and like seeing the gibbs kid and just being like holy smokes i was like he's really small but goodness like I, I, you know, he caught the ball like a season wide receiver uh, and just his moves were tremendous. His route running was great. And he was so humble and kind of quiet. And it was incredibly impressive. And I remember telling everybody then, I was like, that's like almost a five star level dude. And, you know, people, I think, I think if he had been a little bigger, he maybe would have crossed that threshold. But, that's the stuff we miss out on, man. And that, that part sucks. Cause, um, it's such a, it's such a drag to not to be able to, to just sit and chat and Russell, I know you love it. And I, it's something I really enjoy doing and we both try to hit as many camps as we can between us. And, um, that's going to be really tough for us. If that, if that's a casualty of an, an, a second year of dealing with this COVID shit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I remember vividly the interview I did with Tyson Miguez and um, how nonchalant and quiet he got whenever I asked about Georgia Tech. It would think it was a week or maybe even just days before he committed, and uh, he knew it in his head. He, when I talked to him and did the the freshman focus thing, he was like, you know, when you interviewed me, I knew I was going to Tech. I just didn't tell you. And just um, you know, you can kind of tell like that kind of stuff too. Not just a Interviews and then, you know, like us talking to, to other writers who maybe interviewed the kid and maybe he said something different to them than he did us and, and just gathering all that kind of information and, um, you know, also being able to eliminate and realize which kids, you know, they don't have a shot with. Like, I remember it was, it was what, Miles Murphy and a few others. I just remember, you know, going up to Miles, I think I, I pushed a record button and I shouldn't have ever even pushed a record button because, you know, I had asked him, you know, hey, are you still, you know, considering Georgia Tech? And he was like, you know, they're they're still in my recruitment, but I really don't see myself there is kind of what he said. Um, and just things like that and, and those kind of conversations. But but really, the like you talked about, the, the stock risers and fallers. I mean, you know, just seeing the kids in that environment is something that can't be can't not possibly be overstated from from our standpoint and then also from a, a college coach standpoint and that's why you're seeing like right now i think there was a, a mailbag question which i mean i can handle right now someone asked if anybody should be worried about not having a 22 commitment right now in my opinion i think it is actually a good thing to not have any 22 kids committed because the last thing you want to do is 
take a, a mid-level kid from Alabama, mid-level kid from Tennessee or something like that, and you get trapped with them later because they're not going to be able to find anywhere else to go because Tulane and Louisiana Lafayette filled up their spots in the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a key cog to all of this. And the one thing that no one um, is being understated that I keep hammering home to people on Jackets Online is the coaches don't know what their numbers are for next year right now. So everyone's having to really undershoot early here because you don't know and you can't run off. Like mathematically, you cannot run off enough kids to take 20 if you only have 13 scholarships. Um, and you want to be able to take a transfer or plug a hole here or there. So you've got to be kind of conservative with what you take early right now until you find out if, A, you're getting cap relief from the NCAA, or B, if there's some sort of um, change in how they're counting like things like APR and, and graduation success rates and those things, because transfers kill you when they leave. Like you can take a certain number, I think we counted out as like nine um, without it starting to ding you on your APR. So like that, you know, like the, the 20 kids transferring, I think the other thing that'll be interesting is uh, as people start to see that none of these kids land anywhere <laughs> that are transferring out right now, like they end up at Catawba or all like all these other weird um JUCOs or like if they're lucky some of them might end up in like community colleges or totally out of football that you know if you don't have film and you weren't like a four-star kid um the odds of you landing in a p and just a p5 situation are remote and in the fbs is you know at best 50 50 if yeah. not less than that so like uh, you know, unless you're a D tackle or some other position of absolute need, like you can kick a football, onto football really accurately. Um, th- there's a lot of kids that I don't know where they're going to go. I was talking to an FCS coach today, and he was like, "Yeah, we're looking for X, Y, and Z, but we haven't really found those kids in the portal." And he was just telling me, like, keep my eye out in case I saw anyone that would make sense for them. But he goes, "I," th- he's like, "I think we might be able to get." And he told me a couple of kids that are like guys who I would assume <laughs> would have gone to an FBS school that have transferred from different places, but can't cause there's no, no one has any ships. Like if there's a thousand kids in and then everyone signed 20, you know, kids, the math just doesn't work out. There's not enough spots and people are getting squeezed out. So that's going to be an interesting thing going forward. I think there's going to eventually be a situation where people are more nervous about leaving um, from from schools, and there's going to be a little less attrition, actually, eventually, but it's going to take time for reality of what's going on to, to take hold, because the difference with basketball and football is what are there, 360 like, what they would call D1 basketball teams or something, and there's yeah. 132, 24, I forget what it is, FBS teams, like it's like a third, right? But they're the same number of kids in the portal, I think, right now as you would have in basketball. And, you know, basketball's a, a smaller sport, but, you know, with 15 scholar, I mean, with 13 scholarship guys, but still, like, that's sort of weird that you would have that many kids in the portal in a year with COVID and everything else going on. Um, and in a and difference with football, too, is, most programs have kids in for five years and you know in some various stage they'll have at least a few fifth year players on their team so and early enrollees as well so the math's just so different and i don't know man this is going to be um really interesting because you've seen some weird teams like florida state's like loading up on they're like transfer you right now yeah Uh, and you know other schools most schools fall somewhere sort of between what like Wake Forest or Georgia Tech's doing like, you know, Georgia Tech took what six? Is that right? Um, this last time around, I think. Let me think. You got Pendley. You counting Cochran? No, I don't count Cochran because he technically came last time, and I, I look at that as sort of an opt out. So you got McGowan. You got Pendley. 
Harris, Scott, Keon White when he gets here, gets there, uh, Kenyatta Watson. The kid from Maryland. And A and A Eli. Eli. That's it, right? Yeah, I think so. So this was six, right? Yeah. So, okay. you know, and there's a few other schools that have gone a little higher. Uh, you know, like most of those are new coaching hires or guys a year back from where for Collins as they were entering year two, like USF, where you think they took seven and they're going to take some more. Um, and then, you know, like a place like Wake or Notre Dame where they're taking a couple. Um, yeah. And that's sort of also the thing that people sometimes fail to realize. Georgia Tech falls more, much more into the Notre Dame, Northwestern, Stanford, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt bracket because the academic piece is a little bit still complicated. It's very complicated for anyone that's not like anyone that's above like academically a sophomore or below a grad student. So yeah. <laughs> that's why you don't see like the, a lot of these juniors redshirt juniors or like guys who haven't graduated coming in. You see guys like Keon White staying and finishing up because they need to like, cause the way credits would transfer over would make them ineligible or they'd be impossible to get into school. So, you know, you end up with a situation where like Keon White's having to finish up and then come in in, in May or uh, June, depending on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Keon's actually moving uh, next weekend from Virginia to Atlanta, and then he's going to finish his degree at Old Dominion online. This isn't news to JOL subscribers, but you know he, he's going to finish his degree online in Atlanta and get acclimated to his new home and kind of kind of get started in terms of networking and, and working out and stuff like that. He's going to find some people to work out with. He used to the humidity. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, weather's a hair different than Maryland or uh, Norfolk, Virginia, where he was. Yeah. Um, where you're on the coast and it's a little, the weather's a little bit different. Um, you know, just kind of looking at the, at things now, I think the big things we're going to kind of be watching is we'll see if they take anyone else. I think right now, if I were betting man, uh, the only thing I would bet on is if there's a worthwhile kicker out there that they would take um, as a transfer. I don't see a high school kid. Um, yeah. And then, you know, maybe if there's a fluke situation, I mean, <clears throat> everyone on Tennessee's roster is in the transfer portal right now, so I don't know if any of those guys uh, really move the needle. I, you know, as we've always talked about, yeah, if there's a D tackle that is a guy that could come in and start right away, yeah, yeah. you'll probably find a spot for a guy like that. Or um, a big-time playmaking wide receiver, you know, if there's a, um, you know, the next Devonta Smith floating around <laughs> that wants to come right. to Georgia Tech, you're going to figure that out. But short of stuff like that, I think they're pretty much set. Um, they've passed. They passed on a lot of transfers this this from really June through now. That our guys they probably would have taken a year, uh, you know, two years ago when they first got here. But yeah. they feel better about the roster and kind of where they're at now um, it, to build for the future. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to maybe like take a one-year rental at some place and, and stall development of guys or create controversy or mess up Jeff Sims, for example, um, by taking another quarterback that's maybe played. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's the best situation for him either. So, and yeah. a lot of times what that does. It's not about Jeff necessarily. It's about the chemistry in your quarterback room. So you bring this guy in, he thinks he's a hot dog, and he's going to come in and unseat everybody. It just creates a really unnecessarily tense atmosphere in your quarterback room. So those are things. There's a lot that goes on. It's This ain't Madden. You're not playing in NCAA 14. Like, you have the personalities. And, yeah, it would be cool. I would like an NCAA uh, 21. Um, yeah anyone's listening out there that has the power to make that happen but i'm surprised there's not an open source game just not to get off topic here for a second i'm like shocked that someone hasn't come up with like some sort of open source online game that's like a version of college football um yeah 
I know. There's all these other like kind of open source games that like people come up with that people play. Why couldn't they figure that out? And what my point has always been on that is just I, I was like, little if you just went around the locker room and offered everybody, you get like a percentage point of whatever this is. Maybe you get a check for five hundred bucks each kid on the team. They would be more than happy to sell their name to play in the NCAA college football. You'd have a few kids that are dicks about it, but like, I remember um, playing a video game when I was a kid, and like Michael Jordan didn't license his name to it. It was like on the Sega or the early PlayStation or something. But like, the majority of people will will be like, yeah. I mean, I've talked to enough kids that I know what they think. They all want to play the uh, new college football game, and it's just sad that. You know, 14s as far as we've gone. Yeah, and then and then with that, you know, if if they do get this right and the the kids are getting paid, it would save a ton of nerds in their basements. A lot of time in terms of like, because I was one of them editing and putting the names and the heights and the weights and the hometowns and all that stuff. That stuff used to be so time consuming. Well, what was great is they came up to, later on, which I think is part of why. It, Kind of blew up is they came up with the uh, you could download them online. Someone yeah. else would do the work. I remember, dude, when I was in college, I would sit for hours programming the names into and like the heights and weights and uh, hours and hours of time that I wasted in my life, like sitting there programming this damn NCAA football game. And then, like by the time I think I got out, they had started people had started uploading rosters. Um, yeah. And then you know they they finally put the thank God they put the spread in in the last one they did because it'd be really weird to play like if cause you can still play it's still very playable. Um, yeah, very playable. But it would be so weird if you didn't have like a spread offense like that everyone runs now and it was it was either pro style or like wishbone or yeah. you know. Um, there was no option or tempo game or you couldn't do any of the things that the people do now in college, but that's a digression. Um, yeah, for sure though. You know, is there anything else kind of you see on the horizon right now, Russell, that, that people need to keep an eye out for? Um, I mean, they're, they're still evaluating and looking at uh, a couple 21 options, but nothing I know, nothing I see particularly likely in terms of high school signees. Um, Sebastian Sager is still, you know, actively looking for somewhere else to go other than Georgia Tech. Um, he doesn't really want to wear the shirt. It doesn't sound like from what he's been telling people um, that he wants to wear the, the shirt that they're offering him. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what happens there um, because, you know, he's got lower level offers. And I actually think um, a couple of power fives have also given him the same color shirt, if not maybe a little bit darker, kind of like a, <laughs> a little lighter than black, but not white. Sure. Uh, one of those, one of those shirt offers. And um, just, it'll be, I'm really curious to see kind of where, what he ends up doing. Um, but, you know, other than that, um, there's an offensive lineman who decommitted from Tennessee that, that I think could possibly be a target. He's a, a really big body, a big tackle. Um, maybe a little bit more college ready than, you know, some of the, the players on the roster currently in terms of, you know, backing up Cocker and backing up Williams and, and Quinney and, and Leftwich and everything. Um, but like I said, I don't really necessarily see anything you know, going with that. And then, you know, the Savion Collins kid from South Florida, um, it just doesn't really seem to be any traction there. Really hard kid to get in touch with. I mean, a lot of people I've talked to, they're really curious to see where he's going to go if he's not going to be in Miami. Um, and, and really just continuing to see that what happens with the, the situation at, at Tennessee. Um, something that I don't think is really well known is if you are in the SEC and are not a grad transfer, you have to sit out if you transfer to another SEC school. Yep, it's the magic SEC rule that they put in. Um, I, was it Miss? Who is it they were trying to get with that? Was it Mississippi State or Alabama? It was one of the SEC West teams, I think, that led to this being like such a hot button issue. Uh, Isn't it Alabama to Georgia? 
Oh, it might have been Alabama. You might be right, yeah. Oh, it was um, the DB um, that went from Alabama to Georgia. What was his name? Um, I can't remember. But, yeah, he was uh, – That's that was sort of the spark of this, as it always is. It comes from rivalries and people being upset and uh, getting their feathers ruffled. Maurice Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a defensive back, right? Yep. Yeah. Remember some things. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting, you know, month of January as they start to kind of focus that 22 class. Uh, we are about two months away for a little under two months away from spring football, as weird as that is to say, because it seems like the season just ended. Um, which it kind of did. But, yeah, they should be starting around mid-March unless there's a some sort of change with, you know, major plans. And I think right now everyone has to be kind of fluid with what's going on, especially with the COVID piece of things and, and kind of making decisions there. Um, yeah. I know <laughs> from talking to, to people, everyone kind of Georgia Tech's turned the page. They don't want to want to talk about 2020 anymore. And are very focused on the future and, and 2021. And, you know, I totally understand that. So I don't know that you'll see a ton of interviews with, you know, Coach Collins or anything like that before spring ball, just because I think they're trying to move the narrative to to net to this upcoming year and not dwell on year one and year two. Which is, is really, you know, something that I think schools all over the country are doing. You know, I mean, like you said earlier, even just today, that you know, you're not really giving anybody grief or I forget exactly what you said about um, the, how you view the 2020 season, but, you know, really just, just ready to move forward. And, you know, a lot of kids are, you know, they'll still watch the film on it. And, and obviously the film will come up when they're preparing for whoever they open the season with. Um, but, but other than that, just, you know, like moving forward, you know, they, they were able to, to add the transfers they were. And only other than Keon White, all of those kids are on campus. So it, 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 between that and then you've got, you know, camp leaving and all of the kids entering the transfer portal, I mean, the nucleus is still there in terms of, you know, the, the members on the roster, but there's new pieces all over the place. You know, you, you've got Kyrick McGowan who can play in the slot or on the outside. You could even line up a, a running back if you're going to run a two running back set like everybody likes on the message boards. You know, you've you've still got the tight end. You've got uh, Devin Cochran who can play left tackle. You've got you know the the two former four star Grayson kids and and Kevin Harris and Kenyatta Watson. Uh, you know Watson's health is going to be something to, to kind of keep tabs on this spring. But just you know seeing all of these different pieces and and how they fit together. I mean, the spring football is, is normally something that gets talked about quite a bit. Especially, you know, Georgia Tech, you know, year one and year two, um, because of the the change in the system. But now, you know, it's not about a change in the system anymore. It's about, you know, executing, executing consistently. And you know, I don't really think there's a question of who the starting quarterback is. And it hasn't been that way the first two years. No, I mean it's been a totally different. And, you know, it's funny is the fan expectation of what was going to happen and even our expectations of what was going to happen have played out so differently than what we expected in the first two years with the staff. It's funny because it reminds me of even when, you know, Coach Johnson was here his last few years. um, There was a similar situation with Taquan Marshall where he was – he was the third guy going into spring. He was that guy. He was Jeff Sims almost in terms of being the guy that was kind of forgotten about in the spring. He goes into fall camp, wins the job outright by just outperforming everyone and um, kind of ended up keeping the job for the rest of his career at Georgia Tech. And no one was kind of able to unseat him. And that, that happens in a lot of places. You see these guys who are gamers who maybe um, – you know, the staff's even unsure about it. I think the staff thought Tucker Gleason was going to be the guy and that Jeff was this really interesting athlete that they could develop over time. And he developed himself. He took advantage of COVID and 
created. Um, he learned the playbook and got himself um, a lot more comfortable with spent a crap ton of time working with receivers and jumped everybody. Um, you know, the year before that, they went in with everyone thinking it was going to be Lucas, Lucas Johnson, Lucas Johnson. And then it was, oh, Tobias, Tobias Oliver, sure. You know, and then James ends up being the quarterback. But now you go into a situation where, where Jeff played really well, especially as a true freshman, especially with um, not maybe having um, the weapons that can make a rookie quarterback excel the way that, uh, you know, a lot. Because most places, what it is, like, is you have a quarterback like that who's not Trevor Lawrence or Sam Howell. You're going to have, you know, heavy run, um and then a lot of weapons to kind of make him look great. Instead, you had decent run with Gibbs and, and Mason, who did a great job. They weren't particularly run heavy. The balance is way off on that. And there wasn't, you know, Jalen Camp had a decent season. But everyone, you know, Mary Brown took a step back. He's now at South Carolina. Um, there just wasn't a great production all the way around, right? Other than yeah. really in the passing game, other than Gibbs um, and, and Jalen Camp, and you know then Adonicus kind of came on towards the end of the season and um, his role, but you know there just wasn't a he didn't have like guys to throw the ball to that were really dynamic. So it'll be that's that to me is the big thing that the biggest the biggest thing that I'm going to keep an eye on offensively is. The development of Jeff Sims and the the receiving and, and passing game at Georgia Tech, and which receivers can step up and who those guys are going to be to kind of fill that void. Is it like the McGowan kid that came in from Northwestern? Is it going to be Nate McCollum? Is it going to be Malachi Carter, who's been a guy who can make a tremendous catch and then drop a, a ball that he's got to catch? He's got to knock that out of his game and become consistent. Donicus Sanders has been a guy that's been underappreciated. Marquez Ezer got hurt last year um, and, and played really well. Ryan King played well. P.J. Harris played well. Ryan King gets hurt early. He looked good in the little bit that he got to play. You know, you had P.J. Harris actually played a really great season in the slot. is a bigger slot for them and was one of their key playmakers down the stretch after Marion got hurt. Um, you know, you need some guys. And then the X-Factor guy for me that – I'm hoping it's healthy enough to go this spring is Avery Boyd because I'm really curious to see what he can do. Uh, they like him in the slot, and he can also play outside. So it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they line him up on the field because he's, he's the biggest outside threat in terms of height and speed combination they've had in quite some time at receiver. So a lot of interesting pieces. And then the tight ends, man, you got to throw them the football. Like I think – that was one criticism I would level on, on Sims a little bit was I felt like he wasn't looking at them at times when they would be open and was way more focused on, on getting the ball to either Gibbs or the two outside receivers and kind of ignoring some of the stuff in the middle of the field with Brown and, and the tight ends. So do they, you know, become more of a factor? You have Billy Ward who, you know, missed a lot of time and protocols and stuff and, he didn't really get to play much. And the two Dillons, who I thought played pretty well for guys who were true sophomores at a position where they didn't play a ton as true freshmen. So, those, you know, all those things are interesting to me um, for this spring. And, and I'll be curious to see even, you know, I imagine it will be closed off like it was in, uh, in the fall, which sucks. Um, but I, don't, I just don't feel like we're going to be at a point where they're going to be comfortable opening up practice to to media and stuff maybe i'll be wrong but um you know it should be an interesting spring just in terms of seeing uh what we can find out and a lot of times um one of the things that's interesting about jackets online is the more open things are sometimes isn't the better for us i think you guys get a lot of benefit when things are more closed down uh, as we are able to work our sources and find out information and maybe disseminate it, uh, things that I can't even necessarily disseminate if I see with my own eyes because there are a lot of things I kind of am told not to say or write about um, that are interesting. But 
if I find out, you know, second, third hand, they're good sources uh, I can share. So I think there's a lot to be excited about. And it's, you know, sort of go time for him. And then we didn't even talk about basketball. Um, the basketball team starting to look like what I've told everyone I expected uh, going into the season. The team that finished last year, uh, you know, has kind of picked it up. And, and it'll be interesting to see they play Virginia on Saturday. That's an interesting game. They play at Duke on the 26th. Uh, I was planning to go up to Durham, actually, to hit a road game. And turns out Duke is not allowing any media whatsoever, including their own, into Cameron. So, uh, wow. Yeah, Ken Segura and I were going to go up and because and, it was we were, it was almost sort of curiosity just to see what it was like um, to go to a game with no fans there and, and just kind of have that experience. But that was uh, thwarted, so that'll be interesting. Uh, and they play Florida State again in a rematch on the 30th. So, um, or no, they play – do they play – I'm sorry, the – Play, yeah, they play Florida State. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. I have two different AC schedules up in my office. I was looking at the wrong one there for a second. So, um, you know, I think maybe next time we'll go a little more into basketball. Uh, I'd like to kind of delve into that a little bit as well. Um, but I think it's time to wrap it up. We've we've uh, rambled long enough, uh, Russell. Yeah. I think we've given people yeah. over an hour. So, um any final thoughts? No, I think you, you know, you kind of covered it, covered it well. Um, you know, the, the basketball team, as you said, had a, had a really big win on uh, Wednesday and they got another big game on, on Saturday against UVA. UVA kind of exposed Clemson and in a, in a, in a way it seems, seems kind of, you know, gave Georgia Tech a little bit of the recipe of what they needed to do and, Georgia Tech executed it almost just as well as Virginia did, so it'll be interesting to see them match up. You know, we I don't want to dive too much further into it, but yeah, yeah, it's going to be. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe this is where passengers' team starts to turn the corner. I don't, I don't think anyone needs to be judging what happens on Saturday against Virginia as any kind of indicator on the season because that team's really good. But um, yeah, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, where they stand in the standings, if they can, I would say over the next four games, which are uh, Virginia at Virginia at Duke, Florida State, Notre Dame, if they're two and two through that stretch, that's a really good sign for the rest of the season. Um, and if they somehow go three and one, that would be really impressive. Uh, so, you know, Florida State and Virginia are both playing really lights out right now. Um, and then they think they play Virginia again, like after the Notre Dame game. So a little bit of an ugly schedule, but um, it should be interesting to see what happens with basketball. And um, I've been rooting for Josh. He's a good dude. Uh, he's a strange guy in some ways with the media. Just he's a little bit awkward in the way he talks. It's sort of like Coach Collins almost in a way. But great dude, loves Georgia Tech, really is uh, trying to do things the right way, which I think people don't necessarily appreciate all the time and hopefully he can kind of get his team back into the tournament. I think it would go a long way of kind of, kind of writing the ship that's been taken on water since Paul Hewitt's uh, termination. Oh, those many years ago, but uh, on that sort of uh, weird note, we'll end this podcast and uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully uh, with another edition of the Jackets Online Podcast. Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Quinlan. This has been the Jackets Online Podcast. <laughs>